0: And so we are grateful today that, above all things, Jesus Christ does save. We are grateful for our unofficial men's day today, as we were led in worship by by our men today. We're just grateful for that. We're grateful to be back in the house of the Lord one more time. For those of us who are joining us online, for those of us who have joined back with us in person, we are grateful for any kind of way that you join with us, and we're just truly thankful for that. Um, I'm particularly excited about getting back to the Word of God this week because we are taking a slight detour in the book of Acts this week, um, just considering us coming off of the Thanksgiving holiday and us getting ready to come on the Christmas holiday, We're just going to take a slight break, but we'll be back to Acts next week. But what I want to do today is look in scripture and talk about what it means to have joy as a believer. What it means particularly to find joy for the believer in what I would say is one of the most challenging years we've ever come across in terms of finding that joy. Not only do we have a hard time finding joy in 2020, but many of us have had a hard time, just in general, finding true and lasting contentment in this year. Now, the unfortunate reality is that whether you're a Christian or not, you have all probably struggled finding lasting joy and contentment in life. Whether or not you are a believer, whether or not you know Christ, this has probably been a struggle for most of us. In fact, contentment and happiness are such hot topics in our world that there is actually a whole report dedicated to the happiness of the world. It's called the World Happiness Report. Now, the statistics from that report show that in general, year by year, People are getting unhappier. In general, year by year, people are finding themselves less content with the lives that they lead. They find themselves less content with the things that God has provided and desiring more. So one thing that we're going to learn early on is that discontentment and unhappiness was a trend before 2020. 2020. That was the direction that people were already headed. So what we have to struggle to do is to find out what the Bible says about how to find joy, not just in 2020, although that is the title of the message, but for the rest of our lives. This report describes a generally pessimistic view that people have not only towards their life, but towards the present and also towards the future. I believe that if we survey most of the people that we are even related to, people that we're close to, people that we work with, we would learn that many of them are simply unhappy. Many of them are discontented with their lives. But why? Why is that the case? That's what we need to figure out today. We need to learn why many of us are struggling to find joy that lasts, and I believe that we will be able to see that through some of the events that we see take place in our text today, and how discontentment led to bad choices and the consequences of those bad choices. But let's be clear before we begin. If you are, in fact, a believer, joy is not an option. Joy is a requirement of you as a Christian. Joy is one of the non-attributes that we're told in Galatians that are found in the life of a person who is filled with the Spirit. So if you are in fact a Christian, joy should be being produced in your life. It's not an option. But what we notice quite often is that For many of us who claim to be Christians, it is non-existent. There is not the consistency of experience that we have with Jesus Christ, knowing that our hope and our eternity is in him and secure in him. And so we will look today and figure out how we overcome that. Let's look today at our text. We're going to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Verse number one, First Samuel chapter eight, verse number one, says, "When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Bathsheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice." For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchids and give them all to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Let's pray. God, we thank you for another opportunity to worship together in the word. We thank you for the worship that we've already had. Um, Father God, I pray now as we begin this sermon, Lord, that you will show us not only what leads to contentment, God, but what has caused so much discontentment in our lives and what is causing us to be led astray, God, what is causing us to not find our true joy and lasting contentment in you, God, that you will reveal to us the struggles that we've had and what we must do inevitably to have permanent joy in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It is in your name we pray, amen. So I know you're already probably thinking as we read that scripture, what in the world does does this text have to do anything with 2020 or me finding joy in 2020. Now, I know when you first hear it and read it, it actually seems pretty obscure, but it's it's not. And we need to see that in this text, it shows us that there is in fact a dangerous pattern that not only is happening with Israel here, but that happens with many of us every single day. What we see happen in our text here are the classic ingredients of what leads to an unhappy and discontented life. It's all right here. And we can realistically probably boil it all down to having a desire for more than what God has already provided. I would say that's probably the most key thing. For all of us who struggle with discontentment is that we do not find satisfaction in God, nor do we find satisfaction in the things that God has already provided for us. Not only is that the sin of the Israelites, but as I am, so many of us are guilty. I mean, I can understand why, though. I mean, think about it. More than ever, our lives are invaded with these little snapshots of people's lives. Whether it be on social media, whether it be on HGTV or reality television, we get these little snapshots of perfection in people's lives. We get these, these little snapshots of happiness. That we see people have, and inevitably we think when we look at them, my life's not that happy. I'm not that fulfilled. I don't feel what they feel about their spouse about my spouse. I don't feel about their home, what they feel about their home about my home. Because we see these little snapshots, but they're not the reality. But then we base our whole reality on a false narrative of happiness. I mean, think about it. You generally view the people you see on television as more well-off, more successful, more attractive, and happier than you are. But the reality is, is that it's designed that way. Nobody buys misery. Nobody who's living in misery wants to watch misery. So that's why we run to these things. The new opioid for the masses is the happiness of others. Think about all the things that you want to get done in your house right now. Why do you want to do those things? I mean, realistically, let's think about it. We have boiled down our happiness to new countertops in the kitchen. Man, I'm going to be so happy if we get granite countertops in the kitchen. Man, I would love eating in this kitchen. What about the people who say, well, if we did a little landscaping, I would love pulling up to this house. It would look so much better and I would feel so much better about this house. Why do you think you have that desire? Because you probably saw someone else on TV get new kitchen countertops and they walked in and they cried and they were so happy and then they did the quick snapshot at the end of that show with all the family gathering at the countertop and they're all happy and laughing because their camera's on them. You ever notice how clean people's houses are on TV? You ever notice how your house will never be that clean? Yet somehow, you use that as the measuring stick for where you are in life. What about the people who say this? If I had a garage like they had on on television, I would be so happy. If I had just a few more square feet in my house, I wouldn't ask God for another thing. The dangerous trend in our lives is that we think That if we get the next thing, then we will finally be content. But the unfortunate reality is we realize that the more we get, the more we desire. The more we get, the more we crave what we don't already have. These are some of the most dangerous words that you can utter. I'll be happy if. If I had, if I made more money, if I were married, some of us, if I weren't married, if I had children, some of us, if I did have children, if I had a bigger house, if I had a better job. It is the idea that if we had any of the things we don't have, then we'd be better off. And it's exactly what Satan wants us to think and to feel. He's literally been doing this since the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve didn't have something that God had, and so he tempted them, but he didn't create the desire. The desire was already within them. He takes what he knows we already desire, and he parades it in our face and tells us, if you just do this, you can have what you really desire. Not only does he do that, not only does he use their enticement to bring sin into the world, but he does the same thing with Jesus, where he says, look at all the kingdoms on the earth and look at what I can do. I can provide all of these to you, riches, everything you would desire if you would only bow down to me. Satan always presents for us the alternatives to our lives in order for us to find less and less satisfaction in the lives that God has given us. And he always does this, people, by showing us what is happening in the lives of those who are around us. This is what happens in our text. Israel, in accordance to how God said they should be judged, were led by judges whom their elders were to appoint. And these judges judged on the basis of God's righteousness and not their own. This is the system that is set up through Moses in Deuteronomy. But it appears that they don't have a king. So they say we want a king. We don't have a king. The other nations have a king. We desire a king. But let me tell you something. They did have a king. They had the only divine king who had an incorruptible throne and it was God himself. God was their king. And so what's happening here is that they are not just less satisfied with what had been provided, but they are less satisfied with God himself. This is not a situation, by the way, that they're unaware of. They know that God is their king. Yet they still rejected him. What's the problem? They weren't satisfied with God being the king anymore. And that's where their rebellion begins. This is where their discontentment begins. And this is where their brokenness begins. Now, how does this happen? I think we can look at their lives and then look at our lives and point out how this happens. This will be the first and only main point for the sermon. And we're going to have three subpoints, And it's they focus on what others have. They focus too much on what others others had. This is very well probably the leading cause of discontentment and a lack of joy in our world. We focus way too much on what others have in comparison to what we have, and let's be honest, it exudes unthankfulness. Not only that, but it is absolutely a violation of the commandments, two to be exact. It's a violation of the first commandment. It's a violation of the last commandment. What are those? The first commandment says that you are to have no other gods before me. You should not look at something else. Hear this. You should not look at something else that isn't God and feel about it as you should feel about God. There is nothing else that you should look for to find hope, to find joy, to find peace, to find fulfillment, to find anything that you would otherwise get from God from anything else. If you are seeking anything emotional, spiritual, psychological from a source that is not God and it is idolatry, And it is not always a magnanimous thing. It's not always a big drug addiction. It's not always something that we can clearly see. Sometimes it's that we are driven by the mood of somebody that we dearly love. And if they're having a bad day, then we're having a bad day. Sometimes it's that our kids are struggling and we're not finding fulfillment in them that we would hope to find. So our lives are a wreck because of it. Sometimes it's because our job isn't going well or we're not making enough money or school isn't going well. But if you're finding fulfillment and contentment and peace and joy in any of those things, then you are worshiping those things in a way that you should be worshiping God. When God tells us not to have any of the God's, He is not just trying to get us to appease him, but he's actually trying to protect us. When God tells us not to have any other gods, he is trying to protect us from the emotional and the psychological effects and the spiritual effects of us treating something that isn't God like God. Listen, we've all done it in some way or another. And we've been warned by God not to do this. We should get our fulfillment, quite simply, from God and God alone and nothing else. Our fulfillment should not come from our marital status. It should not come from our house. It shouldn't come from our car. It shouldn't come from our clothes. It shouldn't come from our kids. It shouldn't come from our job. It shouldn't come from our money. And it definitely shouldn't come from our president. When we find for our fulfillment and our purpose in those things, then we will ride the inconsistency of emotion that those things bring. That's one of the biggest triggers of depression, by the way. I had a hope of fulfillment and expectation in something that I should not have and ultimately that thing did not meet the expectation that I set for it. And by the way, let me be clear. If the thing that you have an expectation for isn't God, it will never meet your expectation. That's what happens here. They have God Himself as their king, but somehow God wasn't enough. How? Because they'd even assign an expectation to God. That God hadn't assigned to himself. This is one of the reasons why things like the prosperity gospel are so damning. No, you cannot decree and declare. You cannot speak things into existence. It's either God's will or it isn't. The only prayer you need to pray is, Lord, your will be done. But we end up so discontented with God because we have allowed people to fuel our minds, these lies about God. And that's not who God is. God doesn't move at your will. God doesn't move at your whim. God moves at his will. And you know who counsels his will? The Bible says God counsels his will. In other words, God does whatever he wants to do. And we have to learn to be content with the God of the Bible, not the God that we created. They looked at what the other nations had and what their kings were doing. And it distorted their view of their king. It's like with anything. Anything that the devil is using to provide for you a false narrative, it distorts the reality of the real thing. Whether it's drugs distorting the reality of true joy in Christ. Whether it's pornography destroying the the true value of marital sex. No matter what it is, these things distort the reality of the truth. They said, point for us a king to judge us like all the nations. They saw what the other nations had and they desired as well. And that is a pattern of unhappiness. And the book of James warns us about this in James chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? He goes on to say, he says, you have not, so you steal, and so you murder. You take what's not yours because of the wicked desires that you have within. Listen we are all guilty of collectively having looked out at the world and saw what the world was doing and desired what they have received. James points out that it isn't just gazing at the world, but it is when the world has obtained what we desired. He says that outwardly it causes fights and disagreements, but inwardly it causes our passions to be at war with us. In other words, there is no inward peace when you are looking outwardly for your fulfillment. Why is this significant? Well, I want you to see something about discontentment from these people. When we have desires that we believe will fulfill us above and beyond God, that's because we don't properly count the cost. That's it. When they requested a king, they knew what the reputation of the other kings were. They knew that they were not benevolent kings. They were malevolent. They knew that. They knew that they were abusive kings. Yet they lost perspective. And all of us have done it. We have all desired something so greatly that we absolutely lose true perspective on what that thing is. It's like the car that you desire so greatly that you think if I don't eat out six times a month, then I can afford the car note because you lose perspective on if you got to do all that, then maybe you shouldn't have it. Or it's about the job that you prayed to God for, but you lose perspective that wait, A job is still a job. Or the spouse, the marriage you desire, you lost perspective because you wanted the thing more than you wanted the God who provides it for you. That's what happens. I mean, think about how recently this has happened for all of us. Some of us desire nothing more than rest and relaxation. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that? Ooh, I could just get a few days off of work. I'd be so happy if I could just spend some time at home. I would read, I would rest, I would relax, and then boom, coronavirus hit. And what did you do? Most of us, in a way, complained. The very thing that we had been asking for was handed to us on a silver platter, and it wasn't enough. Think about the Israelites. What did they desire most when they were in captivity? To be out of captivity. What did they then desire most when they got out of captivity? To be back in captivity. This is the dangerous trend for all of us because within us there is this unsettled feeling that the next thing will be the best thing. But if God is not truly good in the present sphere of your life, then he will never be enough. He will never be better in the future. Okay? What happens with most of us is we desire the things and the change and whatever the the object is more than we desire God, but then we ultimately realize that the thing that we desire doesn't bring the fulfillment that we thought it would bring. So they violate the first commandment by putting something in the place of God that shouldn't be. But they also violated the last commandment, which says that we are not to covet. We are not to covet. When God warns us not to want what others have. He isn't just saying not to want it. But that word covet is an important word because it doesn't just mean wanting but it means desiring something so much that you yearn after it, to passionately desire it. He tells us this for our protection. The only thing in life we should long for, we should yearn for, we should desire for is God himself. We should diligently and passionately seek after God. When have we ever pursued God and been disappointed. When have we ever sought after everything that wasn't God and been completely satisfied? Jesus warns us that we are to only seek God and His righteousness, taking no thought for our clothing or our shelter or our food, knowing that God in His divine providence will supply all of those needs. That's what Scripture says. But rather than seeking Him above all other things, we think that. Those things will bring us joy and fulfillment. In our text, God makes it clear, not to just Israel, but I will say to all of us that a rejection of what God provides is a rejection of him. A rejection of what God has made to happen in your life, no matter what that thing may be, is effectively a rejection of God. No matter what it may be. It is a rejection of him. And I want us all to see that. When we say that what God has given us isn't enough, then what we are effectively saying is that, God, you're not enough. God, you're not enough. I appreciate you for the good things and the things you provide to God. It's got to be more. You've got to have more up your sleeve than that, God. To be with God was not enough. They wanted everything instead of what God had provided. We see this in the garden. They were residing with God in the Garden of Eden, and they made that not be enough. They wanted to be like God. And what it shows me is that every level, if we don't have a real relationship with God, it doesn't matter what the proximity is of our closeness to God. We will still desire more than him. And what it does when we see happens in others, when we lose perspective, let's just do a quick, a quick uh, reflect so we can wrap up this point. We, we see what others have. We lose perspective on what God's provided. When that happens, it creates a desire in our hearts beyond God, and it leads to unhappiness and disc- discontentment due to expectations that have not been met. Okay, we got it. So how do we find joy? This will have multiple steps to it, but it will all make sense. The key to finding joy is completely in contrast to what leads to us finding discontentment and unhappiness. So letter A of the A, B, and C here is going to be focus on what God is doing. That's the first step to finding joy. Just focus on what God is doing. I know it seems obvious, but for many of us, it's so easily forgotten In our lives, the tendency is not to focus on the beautiful things that God is doing, but it is to only focus on the bad things that are happening. That's what we tend to do. And I'm not saying that you need to pretend that the bad things aren't happening. But what I'm really saying here is that if you are wise enough to know that God causes the good things, then you should also know that that also means the things that you don't like. Whether it is what you wanted or what... You didn't want, if it happened, it only happened because God made it happen. So you need to focus whether it's what you desire or what God wanted to happen in your life. You need to focus on why God would do that in the first place. The beauty of it is not in what's actually happening, though. The beauty is in the God who makes it happen. I'm not telling you to find happiness in the bad things that happen, but you should find joy and peace and contentment that if God allowed it to happen, then his will, his thoughts, his ways are higher than mine. I remember recently having a conversation with some of the, um, the students at, at the school, and I asked them, I said, listen, if, if I get cancer, Who do you think is the reason for it? You know what they say Satan. I was like, yeah, that's probably what you've been told. But realistically, if Satan could give me cancer, not only would he give me cancer, he would give us all cancer and we would all be dead. So it can't be Satan. Somebody say, well, you. (laughs) I'm like, look, I ain't do it. Inevitably, anything that happens, happens because God did it. Those of us who live or who die, it only happens because of God's sovereign control. So that means that I need to be at peace with whatever God is doing, whether I agree with it or not. For the believer, we have something that the world doesn't have. With this mindset, we have reasoning. When the world is afflicted, they have to look at all the things that they have done wrong in their lives. Look at the things that their family has done wrong, their friends have done wrong, so that they can discover why it's happening. Remember, we see it in the book of Job. His friends who were not in relationship with God said, Job, there must be something you've done to cause this affliction. Even the disciples, when a blind man comes to Jesus, says, who's sinned, him or his parents? And God says that has nothing to do with sin, but it has everything to do with me getting glory out of this. So that means as a believer, I have contentment in whatever God is doing, because whatever he's doing, it is to his glory. You say, but but some things that God does They really look bad. Yeah, he crucified his own son to his glory so that we could have the right to salvation. The path to righteousness was paved by God crucifying his own son. That means that I have reasoning when things happen in my life is that God is sovereign, God is in control, and God is good. And if God afflicts me and I live, then it is to Christ. And if God afflicts me and I die, then it is to eternal gain. That means that there's nothing that can happen that will make me dissatisfied. Nothing. We have reason and peace. See, we can do what the world can't do, which is, as the Bible says, we can count all of our tribulation, all of our pain, all of our hurt, all of the persecution as joy. Y'all, this is not some pseudo psychological trick that you have to play on for yourself. All right. This is the truth of Scripture. Look at what scripture says, 2 Corinthians 12 and 10. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions. And my last one is the favorite one, calamities, which, by the way, in Psalms, it says that God causes the calamity. For when I am weak then I'm strong. What does Hebrews 13 and 5 say? Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In the Philippians 4 and 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be It's not talking about being content with the situation. It's talking about being content with God. We are instructed that no matter what is happening, that it best serves us and our relationship with God to be content. Now, God knows that contentment with him is the ultimate source of peace. And that's why many of us aren't aren't at peace with anything, because we aren't at peace with God. But if you can say that no matter what happens in life, that as long as God and I are good, then I am good, then there is no external change that can deter you from your relationship with him. Letter B, make God your priority. Make God your priority. I know it seems similar to the first one, focus on what God is doing, but it's slightly different. One of the major disruptions in the peace of every believer is that we begin to prioritize everything else above God. In our text, the people prioritize their desire to be like the other nations over their their relationship with God. If we go on further, we will see how the shift in that priority is gonna be damning for them in every aspect of their lives. The nature of their relationship with God will be fractured for centuries, because they prioritized their relationship with other nations and their king over God. Just a few days ago, believe it or not, I got a message from somebody on Facebook who asked me quite simply, how do you keep on going? And she went on to say that she was struggling finding peace because school wasn't going well she was focused on that focused on work and that she really couldn't find peace and so my instructions for her like they are with everybody is like you're going to to prioritize god over all those things and so i asked her how are you prioritizing god to no surprise she said she wasn't i said perhaps you need to get up earlier in the morning And make that the first thing that you do. Make that the center of your day. Because if you're trying to fit God in a schedule, let me tell you something. He don't fit. God has to be the schedule. He has to dominate the schedule. That means everything you do has to be centered on what your relationship is with him. So, no, I can't go out. I can't watch this. I can't do that because it's time for me to read the word. It's time for me to listen to a sermon. It's time for me to pray. I have dominated my life with my relationship with God. He has to take precedence over everything. You know what the unfortunate reality is in many of our lives? It's not the case. We squeeze God in, maybe, if we have time. Maybe. But the reality is, most of us go days. We go days without opening our Bibles, without listening to the Word of God, without praying. Some of us are going weeks, some of us are going months. And then we look and try to figure out, why am I not having any peace in my life? Because you ain't gone to the source of peace. If you want true joy and contentment in life, you must have the consistency of a disciplined relationship with God. That must be the case. If we are not prioritizing our lives around our relationship with God, then we will have no peace. And the cliche is true. No Jesus, no peace. Both ways. Without him, we are ships without sails. We are tossed to and fro adrift at sea, and the winds of life utterly bear down on us. So what is the remedy? Isaiah has it in Isaiah 26. He says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts you. If your, la- your life lacks peace, then perhaps your mind is not stayed and fixated on Jesus. Let her see and we're done. Forget about the past and don't worry about the future. Forget about the past and don't worry about the future. These are two things we're commanded to do in Scripture. 2020, I understand, without a doubt, has been the year that most of us will look back at every other year that we've had and think, man, those were some fond years. Man, Man, 2019 was, was great. Y'all remember how badly you wanted to get out of 2019? But now, 2019, man, it was great. It wasn't 2018, but it was cool. You remember what I said about how we lose perspective? Not only do we lose perspective with things that we desire, but we even do that with the past and with the future. The past always seems better because we naturally only bring up the fond memories we have from the past and reminisce on them longingly. But this is exactly one of the acts that will leave us paralyzed and ungrateful in the present day. Is God good in your past? Yes. I would hope so. But let me let me clarify this. God is good in the past, but he isn't better. In fact, this is the crowning line of the whole sermon. God cannot be better. God can't get any better than what he is. To imply that God needs to get better implies that God needs to improve. God can't get better, but we can get closer to him. If you think that God is better in the past or better in the future, that means that he is doing an unsatisfactory job in the present. And some of us are clinging to this idea that God's going to be better to us in the future. God is perfect. God is perfect. And have we ever thought, instead of trying to make him better, maybe we need to be better. (laughs) Maybe it's us. Our relationship with him, if we're really in one, should be better now than it's ever been. We should be as close to God now as we have ever been. So why would I look back in the past when I wasn't as close to him and desire the past? I don't want the past. I want right now. I can't even think or fix my mind around tomorrow because I'm not there yet. I don't even know if I'm going to make it. All I have is right now. How dismissive it is to God and His present goodness and sinful to think that He's any better than He is right now. In fact, a complete violation. for Scripture says, Ecclesiastes 7 and 10. Say not, "Why were the former days better than these?" For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. What about Philippians 3.13? We always quote it, but I don't think we quote it in context. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. And then he doesn't say, look into the future. He says, straining forward to what lies ahead. These are beautiful for reminders for us. That the past is done, the present is uncertain, and the future is unclear. But we don't have hope in any of those things. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. And he is our constant. So, finally... Why do we have joy? Because we have been saved. We have been saved to a blessed hope. And our hope is that one day every tear will be wiped away Every hurt will be gone. And every sin will be erased. We have a hope. Therefore, we have joy. Praise God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have saved us to an eternal hope But God, also to an eternal contentment and joy and pleasure in you, God, that we can find in nothing else. God, our hearts are indeed restless until they find rest in you and you alone. And as John Piper says, God. You are most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in you. God, don't let us be deceived into thinking that anything will bring us contentment, joy, happiness, or peace other than you. So God, my prayer now is that anybody who is watching, anybody who is listening, perhaps later, anybody who is present, God if they do not have true and lasting contentment and joy in you. God if this sermon will ignite them to find that peace and to find that joy and to find that contentment in nothing else knowing that nothing else can satisfy us God the way that you can nothing can bring us joy God the way that you can nothing can give us a hope God like you can and everything that is crumbling at our feet God is happening because we don't have trust in you God make us whole again so that we will trust in you Find our peace in you. Find our contentment in you. Find our joy in you. And you alone. It is in your name that we pray, God. Amen.